0: Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call
1: Daddy. Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my god, that's hysterical.
0: You're not gonna believe this. Oh, oh my
1: god. god. Five stars.
2: Five and a half stars.
1: Uh-huh. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy.
2: Hey. It's a phony baloney.
1: And a tit for tatter.
2: Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs>
1: introducing emmanuel kelly his bio is crazy he went on tour with coldplay he opened for snoop Dogg. he's been on the kelly clarkson show his x-factor performance garnered 500 million views emmanuel kelly welcome i want to take it back to the beginning oh my god you were left in a box half dead in iraq i mean that's Mm
0: -hmm. crazy It's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. Yeah. yeah. I was supposedly, you know, found in a box on a battlefield in Iraq by some soldiers who were shooting, at, who were supposedly shooting at each other and a bit of baby cry. They went towards it. They saw, you know, a box. And in that box was me. And they thought, Ooh, that boy has a serious jawline. Wonder if we can cut some cheese with it. No, they didn't say that. No, they just, in that moment, they, they kind of vowed to one another to help, to help me and and get me to a place of safety and all that sort of stuff. And so they took me to an orphanage in Iraq where I was then raised there for the next seven years of my life, um, seeing and experiencing bombs and gunshots going off, wondering every day whether I was gonna live or die. And that was my life. That was my life for that whole time. Eventually I came out to Australia because of this incredible humanitarian and woman, Moira Kelly, who had heard about myself and my brother Ahmed, while she was in albania and in that moment she realized you know what i'm going to help these boys so she comes out to iraq meets us and i remember the you know three days before she arrives the nuns told us that there's this woman she's going to come to iraq and she's going to help us and um and all this sort of stuff and uh, i remember sitting on a window ledge for three days straight waiting and waiting and waiting and on the third day she arrived i remember thinking three things number one Can she help us? Number two, will she, uh, you know, is she an angel? And number three, how on earth did this seriously white woman get in this country? I mean, she was whiter than my teeth, right? And my teeth are white. But in that moment, I realized I, I kind of gained hope, right? In Iraq for seven, you know, for five years, because I met her when I was five. I came out to Australia when I was seven. For five years of my life, it was all about survival, and then I started feeling hope for the first time in five years. Took her another two years after that. We eventually came out to Australia, listen, multiple surgeries. I learned how to walk for the first time, use a knife and fork, all the basic things that we take for granted every day. And today, I, you know, obviously I've done other things that we can talk about in a sec, but yeah.
1: I read about your mom too.
0: She's incredible.
1: Wow. I mean, One other thing that is super interesting, I mean, aside from everything that you just told me, is that she also rescued conjoined twins.
0: She did, yeah.
1: I have met conjoined twins before. Mom,
0: I mean, mom's rescued and saved thousands of children's lives, probably a good 20,000 or 25,000 children. She's done this for a very, very long time. When she bought those conjoined twins out who are now my sisters and are separated successfully, it's the first craniopagus twins that were ever su- successfully separated, which is amazing. Mum had been saving kids' lives and bringing them out to Australia years before those girls. I mean, that was just, that was just one of the things that she did. But yeah, she's been She's been active for, in this world for a very, very, very long time. And like I said, take thousands of children's lives.
1: That is something so rare. And yeah. I read too that she met Mother Teresa.
0: She ran her projects for about five years. She was her right-hand woman. She worked with her. She, yeah, no, no, no. She, she didn't just meet her.
1: <laughs> wow. And she that's what inspired her to do the work that she does.
0: Well, when she was eight years old, she watched a documentary on Mother Teresa helping a child with, of color. And when I say a child of color, it doesn't necessarily mean African-American or but she was helping a child of color. And in that moment, at eight years old, mom said that that's what she's gonna do for the rest of her life. And so she started helping kids at eight years old. It's
1: truly that. incredible. I mean, it's
0: pretty, wild. it's pretty wild.
1: Not too many eight-year-olds want to change the world
0: absolutely not you oh. know, absolutely no 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 absolutely not she you know that's the thing that's what's amazing about eight-year-olds is often enough you don't know what you want to do with your life but at eight years old she knew what she wanted to do with hers you know that's that's bloody unique
1: so around that age is when you moved to australia right
0: i moved to australia when i was seven yeah
1: and what did you want to do when you moved to australia
0: Honestly, I just wanted to live. I mean, I didn't have dreams. I didn't have, you know, I just wanted to get a better life. I mean, that's the thing. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, if you came to Australia, you know, you'd want to do this and that, but when you're in Iraq, you don't, you don't know, you don't have dreams. You, you know, you're in a war zone. You, <laughs> There's no such thing as dreams. It's only, it's only survival. What
1: you know. do you still remember from Iraq?
0: Everything from the bombs and, and gunshots to Having to change children's diapers at the age of five, I had to change kids' diapers and feed them and do all that sort of stuff. So yeah, everything. You
1: know. Wow, because I feel like I don't remember so much of my childhood from that age. I'm wondering if since it was well, but, traumatic. But
0: where did you where did you grow up? Kentucky. Right? When you grow up in a, in a, in a war zone, you're going to remember everything, right? Because, and it's not necessarily because of the trauma, it's just a different kind of environment there wasn't even such thing as trauma in Iraq for men, right? Because it wasn't trauma, it was a way of living. It was a way of life. It was the way of life for for us. You didn't know any better. I think trauma comes in if you know better. If you know better and you're raised in a certain way, then there are so many forms and ways of having trauma. It could simply mean that a teacher in school yelled at you when you didn't do your work, but over the top yelled at you causing trauma, right? Causing you to think and, and, and shift. If anything, the trauma would have more so come in. It's just good trauma, right? Come in at the, you know, when I had the cultural change, right? So, but in Iraq, that wasn't trauma. It was just a way of living.
1: Wow. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the cultural change. Like when you get to Australia, what do you remember that stuck out? Were you like, oh my God, this place is amazing.
0: I think it wasn't so much this place is an amazing It was more, I came out to Australia. It was more like political type, funny enough, political type things that happened. Like for example, girls wearing tank tops and shorts. You'd never seen that in Iraq. Women driving, you'd never see that. I remember stepping into a car and a van it was, and this woman gets in the front seat. Before she starts driving, I say, excuse me, who's driving the car? She goes, I am. I go, no, no. I had an Indian accent at the time because I was taught English by an Indian nun. So I'm like, excuse me, madam, who drive the car? Who is driving this car? She goes, I am. I go, no, 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 madam, you don't understand. Who is driving the car? She goes, I am. no, no, madam, you do not understand what I am saying. Who is driving the car? And we went back and forth like 10 times. Eventually she just turns around and goes, I am so shut up, right? And I'm like, well, madam, I am very, very sorry, right? She goes, she gets annoyed. Anyway, at the end of the car trip, I'm about to get out of the car. She goes, not you, you stay. I said, yes, madam. Keep calling me madam, I like that. She looks at me and she goes, now, young man, you need to remember this. There's a lesson that you will always remember. In Australia, women run the country, not men. <laughs> I said, yes, madam, good boy. You remember that, yes, madam. Every time I would do something that were contradicted, or she'd just give me the eye. This woman that said this to me is my now grandmother, right? So she's my mum's mum, right? What? Oh yeah, she was, she was a tough woman. You know, I think those were like the big cultural changes for me. Um, TV, you know, simple things like TV, wow. Food, proper food. We had spaghetti bolognese. That was my first ever meal, which was amazing. Amazing. Simple things, simple toys and things like that, like matchbox cars and just the simple things in life that we were just mind boggled with. Grass. Oh, God, yeah. My brother wouldn't stop kicking grass. It was hilarious. The minute we stepped on grass, I was just running around on it. I was loving it. My brother would not stop kicking it. It was hilarious. He was playing with it. He's like, huh, huh because we'd never seen grass in our lives before. It was just things like that that really kind of struck us. A proper house, a bedroom, like just things like that was really mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a baby who's two and I watch him pick up the dirt or play with the little plants. You know, yeah, kids think, are so innocent and, and they're impressed by the most simple things.
0: Simple things. So that's yeah, it's crazy that you
1: remember those it's details.
0: Oh yeah, I think I've made an effort not to forget as well.
1: Wow. Have you ever gone back to Iraq?
0: No. I'm on a hit list, so I can't. No. Yeah, that's another story for another day. But no, I, I oh, what? Yeah, yeah, another story. I'll I'll leave it there. That that can be part two. We found out I am on it on some kind of hit list, which is which is pretty hilarious. But That
1: sounds scary.
0: I can't go back right now. I will go back, but I'll go back with security. I'll go back, you know. I really wanna like go back to the orphanage that I was in. I want to kind of see if I can find any, any forms of family, you know, whatever that is to kind of see what identity I am. I mean, for all you know, I mean, I just took a 23andMe. For I all was you know, going to ask. But that's the thing. It's going to be, I'm intrigued to find out if they can even find out what my my 23andMe is because my 23andMe is also like, it's also dependent on parents, your parents and your ancestors going into a hospital and giving a sample of their of their DNA at least once in their lives. So if there's none of that, and that's gonna be that's going to make it extra difficult. Obviously they weren't able to find, you know, probably relatives, but they will at least able to find heritage maybe. You know, I mean, for all you know it, I could be all Italian. I could be African-American with a little Italian in me. I mean, for all you know it, like we just, we don't know. I mean, my dad could be an American soldier or you know, you just, we don't know, you know, and that's what I'm curious about. I'd love to find out something.
1: I love it. Oh my God. That's awesome. Do you dream of like what your parents, what your birth parents are
0: like or? No, I think it'd be interesting to find out why and how I got the personality that I do. And my parents have any similar personalities to me. And that would be interesting, intriguing and kind of cool, but no, my mom is my mom. That's who my mom is. Like you know, I feel like if I did know, it'll never necessarily like belittle the relationship I have with my mum because my mum is incredible and I love her. And I think it would, it would certainly create a little, not confusion, but certainly a little like sideline on the fence, very, very tiny bit, but on the fence circumstance, right? Because, you know, if my parents aren't who I think they are or jealousy is created, then you know, I don't want to have to try and create peace or silence. On top of that, you know, it's hard to look at that as well because I'm here in the US, I'm having this life. You know, I'd also, which I'd be more than happy to, but I'd want to help them to the extent of like giving them a new life and a better life. But at the same time, I, from what I've seen in my history, in my life, and what I've seen mum do for other kids, often enough people that aren't raised. With the mother that I had, will also take advantage. You know, I'd want to help them. I'd, I'd do that, all the all the good things, but I think it would just it would create friction, regardless. That's really deep that you've thought about that, actually. Yeah. Have
1: any of the other children who she's helped gotten back in touch with birth parents? And you've seen that?
0: Most of the kids that my mum brings out go back to their country, and they have parents and they have families. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. There have been a couple kids and people that mum would bring out who have a family of their own in some way, shape or form. Mum's like, I want to give you a better life. And in many ways, in many cases, they have at times taken for granted what they've got, but they haven't gone backwards and I need to remember where I'm from. And so it's sad when you see that because you're like, "Mm, well, my parents do that. And now these guys are young. These kids are young, so they can always... Reshift their mindsets to realize it. When you're older, you won't change. You're not gonna change. So I also don't want to change them as individuals. So I think if I did, you know, I would I would be part of their lives. They'd be part of mine. But probably have to draw a line. I think no child should have to do that. So I don't know if I'd want to find them right now.
1: I think it's really amazing that you would want to try to help them. But yeah, like, what if they were a lot worse off than you are? And what if it was a huge financial burden mm-hmm. and how would that I'd, fit and,
0: in? And, and if I couldn't help them because of whatever reasons, I wouldn't want it to damage the relationship that I'm just now I'm getting to know and build, you know? So I think anyone that wants to do those things, it's just like having a child, you know? I think there's so many people in the world that are like, oh, I want to have kids. I want to have kids. I want to have kids. I to have kids. I'm like, but are you ready? And, and I don't mean ready to be a dad or a, or a mum, but I mean ready. There's so many people that have kids and are struggling every single day. It would be irresponsible, right? And that's the same case with, I think, finding parents, right? It would be irresponsible of me to find my parents and not to be ready.
1: I have to say that there's never a perfect time to have a kid and no matter how ready you think you are, like you're never, you never, (laughs) I don't
0: mean, I don't mean emotionally ready, right? I don't mean mentally and emotionally ready, right? Even
1: financially.
0: But I think you can, I think, I think you can. If you're not, then would you rather your kid suffer and not have a life? Even people in America who live under the poverty line, right? I know so many families and parents we have a child because they know they can get money out of whatever reason they can get money out of because they get extra money or whatever it is. I know so many people who are successful business men and women. I mean, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago. And I know we're kind of diverting into a different conversation for a second. That's okay.
1: I was talking <laughs> to someone
0: the other day who is like, oh, I really want to have a kid. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah. You know, I think it would be good for me. I'm like, and, and I'm like, okay, that's great. Okay. That's awesome. Good on you. Are you ready? I don't think you can ever be ready. Okay, I agree. But I mean, are you ready, right? Are you ready to put aside your job for the next four years, right? And raise that child and make sure that child has a, a father or a mother, right? At least a mother. Because the reality is kids that end up in prisons or on drugs or whatever it is, often enough, it's not because of the low income areas, right? Yes. That's a big piece. You know why? It's because their parents aren't there. They're not there to raise them. They're not there. So naturally that child goes in search of a figure and the figure is someone who can financially and emotionally provide for them. So if you're going to have a child, I'm not saying the child should be spoiled by all means. No, but like my mom, I mean, she was incredible with the way she chose to keep my brother and I because we came at a very perfect time for her because she was ready to stop traveling. She was ready to settle down. She was ready to start up a nonprofit in Australia. She was ready to focus on raising a family. And so that's what she did. She focused on raising a family. Sure, she had help and volunteers and things like that, but she was ready. And yeah, I think she could have been 10 times ready than more ready than what she was. But I'm glad she did what she did at the time she did, because my brother and I got a life. But now with my two sisters, she's even more ready than she ever was. right? And so my two sisters have a mother constantly. I'm not saying we didn't have a mum, we did. But mom still, you know, worked hard. We didn't see her a ton, but we saw her enough. She was there to discipline. She was there to love. She was there to read stories. She was there to give us hugs. She was there to watch movies. She was there for the important days of the year of sporting events, things like that. Right? She was there. And that's what mattered most. There are so many parents in the world that have children, whether they realize it or not, subconsciously or consciously for selfish reasons. It's because they want to feel better about themselves. It's because they're feeling lonely. It's because there was a divorce and they want love, they want embracement, but those things can be found in other ways. So going back to my parents for a second, if I found them now, I'd be going out there to find them for selfish reasons.
1: I a little bit disagree though, because I think again, like there's never a perfect time. And even if you are being selfish, I'm not saying
0: there is. I'm like, like saying even if you are
1: being time. selfish, I mm-hmm. think that that's okay. Like it's not your responsibility yeah, no. to help and, them.
0: I'm not seeing it as a bad thing necessarily. I agree. There is never a perfect time. There is absolutely never a perfect time. But there is a ready time. Does that make sense? There is a time when you're ready.
1: But you're losing time that you and could you, spend with them. But,
0: would, but, but would, I rather, would I rather spend quality time or would I rather just spend quantity but not be there? I would rather have them have quality, a quality three years with me than 10 years where it's in and out and, you know, them asking for help and I won't be able to support or, you know, me wanting to talk to them, but they're not available because for whatever reason, there's a war or service cuts out and I can't get them the proper phone that they need to contact me or use it. I can't travel there and see them. Why have a life like that? And that's the problem with with human beings in today's generation is we're all after quantity over quality. But really we need to focus on just having the best possible life, as short as it may be or as long as it may be.
1: How do we do that?
0: That's the billion dollar question, right? I don't know. I think there isn't a specific way to do it. I think each individual has their own unique way of doing that, right? For me, it's achieve the success I'd like to achieve in the time that I have right now, which is being young, when I can afford to take risks, when I can afford to jump out, when I can afford to do things that I probably wouldn't able to afford to do when I'm 50 or 60 or 70, right? Because of whatever reason, finances, etc. I'd rather take those risks now. And I think taking those big risks from a business sense right now and a financial sense right now will allow me to have a better quality life when I hit my 30s and 40s. I think that the the problem in our generation, especially my generation, is that they think, oh, now's the time to play hard. But the one thing we forget to realize is money, one does buy time in some cases. 90% of the time it buys time.
1: So I am also curious how was your mom able to afford all of these surgeries? And she
0: didn't yeah, so she didn't pay for it. I mean, she had a nonprofit. Okay. You know, within the nonprofit, they would raise funds and and so on and so forth. Doctors, a lot of the doctors would give their time up for free. Wow. Because she because of who she is and what she does. My mom was like a professional beggar. That's what she classified herself as she's a professional beggar, but yeah, which I think is amazing. But like, that's also one of the drives of what I do, what I'm doing and what I'm, why I'm doing what I do. Cause I know it's such a pays out the way I'd like to see it pay out. It can be such a profitable endeavor that I can then help her. So she'll never have to beg again.
1: Oh my God. I love that. So yeah, let's, let's dig into that.
0: Whilst also having some fun. I got to get my favorite car, 69, 69 Impala.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What color?
0: Black. Rolls Royce though would be, if I could get a Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce would be probably white, blue, or black again.
1: Ooh, nice. Wow. So I love that you want to help your mom with the mission. That's really
0: beautiful. 100%. 100%.
1: Did you ever go through like any like rebellion or hard times? Like I want to, I want to know about that.
0: I mean, I rebelled in in high school, but then after X Factor, I didn't necessarily rebel. I got so many no's, but for the reasons that I didn't understand, like be, the way because of the way I looked. So it was a very discriminating. It was because it was discrimination. It wasn't because you know I wasn't talented, and because I got so many no's like that, that like really, really, really like really damaged me. And my confidence and my self-love for myself, which drove me to be homeless at one stage. It drove me to abusing alcohol and drugs and abusing myself emotionally and mentally. And so, yeah, I I went through that. I got depressed, went through anxiety attacks.
1: Whoa. And that was spawned from X Factor? Yeah. Talk about how X Factor even- yeah, so I
0: auditioned, I auditioned for X Factor when I was 17 years old. So as a, as a kid, when I came out to Australia, I realised music was a salvation for me in Iraq. When I came out to Australia, after about a year being in Australia, I realised that music can be a tool to inspire and motivate people and tell them about my story. With that said, in that moment, I, I wanted to pursue music and then about two weeks after I decided that I was going to pursue music, I watched Idol and American Idol and Kelly Clarkson was performing and that inspired me. And then about two weeks after that, I watched a movie with Queen Latifah. It was called Taxi. That's right. It was Taxi, the first movie. And I, I fell in love with it. I loved it. So I started pursuing it and pushing for it, taking acting lessons, all that sort of stuff. After about a year, I realized that the industry is very closed-minded and it's going to forced me to play roles where I am someone with a disability because disability means you can't do something right disability literally means that you are limited to live out your due to your illness or or condition you are limited in your ability to live your day-to-day life I'm not limited to live my day-to-day life, I have no limitations whatsoever. I cook, I clean, I wipe my butt, I do everything that everyone else does. I don't use extra tools. I drive. I don't use devices in order to help me text. I, you know, I do handstand push-ups for workouts. I lift weights just like everyone else. Like there is nothing that I cannot do, like a person with arms and legs. The difference is, I just look different. And that's the only real difference is I look different. And so I'm always going to be casted as that role of not just looking different, but also someone that's like, I would never play a hopeless romantic role or I would never play an action hero or I would never. So that irritated me. And so in that moment, I realized, you know what? I'm not going to pursue that. I'm going to do something that no one like me has ever done. And that was music. And when I pursued that, I started taking lessons and all that sort of stuff. And at 17 and a half, I auditioned for X Factor. made it through. And a billion views later, I ended up coming out to the US. I mean there was other stories to that and getting there and all that sort of stuff. But you know, ton of views later I ended up coming to the US working with people like Quincy Jones's camp and Bruno Mars and his camp, Philip Lawrence. And it was amazing. And so in that moment I started to really pursue music after the Bruno Mars camp and after you know all that sort of stuff and getting all these no's and left, right, and center from different companies and labels and and realizing why they were saying no to me. In that moment, I realized I needed to try and pursue this in a different way. So I did, and even then I still got all these no's from these companies, and it was because of the way I looked. And so that drove me to go down a really kind of dark path of abuse mentally, emotionally, and, and in some ways physically with drugs and alcohol. And socially I was abusing myself and I started to lose confidence and love for myself. And the more I started to lose love and, and confidence for myself, the more I started to get depressed and, and worse and worse and worse. But in so many ways, you know, still today, I, I do wish I never did those things, but I'm also glad I did do those things. And I did get all those no's because it's also helped define what I'm doing with myself today and helped define where I'm going with my life and helped define You know, the new company I just started up and the new song that I released, which is Red Love, right? And it's about self-love. It's about finding love. So, you know, everything happens for a reason, I I discovered.
1: Yeah. So tell me about your mission. Tell me about your new company and how you're defining yourself.
0: My new company is called Outliers. It's a management company and a record label. Chris Martin is the president of the company, which is very cool. And we're signing outliers of the world, Emmanuel Kellys of the world, the Louis Capaldi's of the world, the Ed Sheerans of the world, the Stormsies of the world, the M and the you know the ones that everyone rides off but ends up being successes. The the next Beatles of the world, you know. Yeah. I I'd love to see the next Beatles of the world be you know an Asian, African American, an Arab, a Latino, and an Italian in the band, right? Just you know, multiple different cultures and whatnot, right? And um, not a bunch of white dudes, you know. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But it's just, you know, I'd like to see growth in the music industry. And so Outliers is about creating growth. It's, you know, it's spelt with a Y, right? It's not spelt with an I because we want to we wanna find the people that are looking and searching for their whys and we want to be their answer to find that why.
1: That's really amazing. Where do you find the
0: outliers? They're everywhere. They're in an orphanage in Iraq. They're in a small village in Bangladesh. They're in a war-torn village in Somalia. They're in. They're in America, in Compton. <laughs> you know, they're in. They're in the underprivileged areas. They're in the underserved, underprivileged areas, and in some cases, they're in Beverly Hills.
1: How did you find the love again for yourself?
0: For about three months straight, I told myself, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself, myself. When I was in a really bad spot, it was the first time I'd gotten out of the couch to go and look at myself in the mirror other than go to the bathroom. I would, I would be struggling to even do things like that. And I wanted to see what it looked like. So I looked at myself in the mirror and I hated the person on the other side. I pushed the mirror as hard as I could. And the next day, my friend who gave me the couch bought a new mirror and he puts up the mirror and he goes, just don't break this one. And I looked at myself in that mirror The next day, but before I did that night, after I punched myself in the mirror, I kind of looked up like inspiring quotes and things. And I saw a quote by by a guy named Wayne Dyer that said, it's none of your business what anyone thinks of you. It ended there. So when I looked at the mirror, when I looked at the new mirror the next morning, I asked myself, hey, Manuel, you got to remember, it's none of your business what anyone thinks of you. And I said, okay, so if it's none of my business, whose business is it? And I looked at myself again, and I'm kind of talking to myself, having this conversation. I go, oh, I suppose it's yours, right? And I go, yeah, it is your business what you think of yourself. But it's not anyone else's business. It's not your business what anyone else thinks of you. It's only your business what you think of yourself. So I said that, and I'm like, all right, well in that case, what do you think of you, Emmanuel? And I looked at myself again. I kind of turned away. And I looked at myself and I said, I love me. That's what I think of myself. I love me the more I would start embracing who I am. And the more I started embracing who I am, the more I started to manifest the things I wanted to manifest. After I told myself I loved myself, I started to put goals in place. And those goals were were met by my sheer willingness of embracing myself and telling people my story and telling people what I had experienced, telling people that I embraced me. The more I loved myself and the more I embraced myself, the more I gained the confidence to share and to ask for help and to surround myself with good people and the people that will get me to where I got myself to eventually, right? And that was opening for Snoop Dogg, performing with David Foster, performing with Paul Oakenfold on a number of occasions. And then eventually, you know going on cold place tour as their special guest
1: okay like can you talk about what those experiences were like i mean
0: i mean they were incredible i mean it's, it's like asking someone what's it like to taste ice cream for the first time it's bloody awesome it's amazing yeah it's incredible it's it's but it's confusing it's like ooh, ooh. Am I liking this? I'm liking this, I'm loving this, I'm scared, I'm terrified. Oh, brain freeze, right? Like a thousand things jump in your, in your mind. It's like tasting, I don't know, some incredible dessert for the first time ever. You're confused as hell. You know, you're like, I'm so confused. What should I do? How should I conduct myself? What do I do here, right? These guys are royalty in their businesses. How did you start asking for help? I just did. There's no real way. You know, I, I get annoyed when I see like no offense to coaches and, and things like that. Right. Good on you. Keep doing what you do. But I, I kind of get annoyed when I see coaches, right, doing their thing and saying, this is how you ask for help. There is no way. There is no specific way to ask for help. And, and their way is not necessarily going to work, right? You have to create your own way. You have to, it's all about confidence, right? You could be the worst pitcher in the world, but if you've got confidence, <laughs> expect turndowns, right? Expect the worst, hope for the best. It's that simple. Don't be afraid to ask, ask away, ask as much as you want because you never know. You tell the story and tell the story, right? You are the creator, you are the artist, and the story is, as, is only as good as you. Tell it, right? but also go to your strengths. Know your strengths and don't try and perfect the things that aren't your strengths. If you focus on what your strengths are, you will succeed enough in order to hire those that can help you achieve the things that you don't have the strength in.
1: I wanna hire you to hype me. Oh my God, that was amazing. Do you want to hype anything for you or do you wanna sing anything? Download
0: my new song. It is the biggest song in the country. Right? It is the number one. See if, see, I'll see if it works, right? DJ Khaled made it work. He also had 20 million people watching, but still, who knows? This is the number one song in the country. No, Red Love, it's about self-love. It is, it, it will be the biggest song of the year. I have no doubt about it. It will win a Grammy next year. I have no doubt about it, or at least be nominated because it's a song that everyone needs. It's a song that you want, you need in your life. It's about self-love and it's called Red Love.
1: And didn't you sing that on Kelly Clarkson?
0: No, I sung Never Alone. On
1: Never Alone. Yes, which I also that. Is,
0: which also will be the biggest song in the country by the end of the year.
1: It was so beautiful. Wow. And it was a dream of yours to meet her. That was the first was. talk show that you did. Oh my
0: God, it was amazing. Yeah, it was the first talk show that I've ever done. And I got to meet Kelly Clarkson and it was the Kelly Clarkson show, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome.
1: Okay, so what's next for you?
0: Next up, I'm hoping it will be like a Kimmel or a James Gordon or Fallon, which would be amazing. Or, you know, one of those nightly shows is the next thing for me. I have a podcast, again, co-hosted by an A-list talent featuring A-list talents. Again, that will come out in the next couple months. Can't say too much just yet.
1: Oh my God, I can't wait to check that out.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Do
1: you want to sing Red Love on here?
0: Sure, I'll sing Red Love. Is that fire burning, burning? Can we start it up again, up again? Is that fire burning, burning? Can we start it up again, up again? Is that fire burning, burning? Can we start it up again, up again? That feeling was a red love, red love, fire's burning. That feeling is a red love, red love, fire's burning. And you can keep me warm, oh, oh. you can keep me warm, oh, oh. That feeling is a
2: red love,
0: red love. Fire is
1: burning. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Wow. Thank I you. feel so special. Thank you. Thank you. That was that beautiful. I love your voice. Thank you. Thank you. You made my you night. You
0: are a gem. You made mine. Better call daddy.
1: Oh, do you want to ask my daddy a question?
0: Yeah. Daddy, what was your daughter's favorite thing to do when she was a child? What's the most embarrassing thing she did? when she was a child or teenager. I'm excited to see what he has to say. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. Irina, thank you. Thank you to all the... Thank you. ...daddy fans and um, listeners. Thanks for having me on. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa.
2: Very interesting conversation. The part that I just love is that when you find your passion, and you find what your strengths can be, and you go for it, and you train and you develop what you have a talent for. Look at how you can excel, that the sky is the limit. Isn't it funny that you can reach for the stars? I once told you that myself, that there's uh, no reason that you have the potential to do anything that you want to do with your life. The fact is, is that most of us have the ability, if we have all the mechanisms taken care of, where we have the encouragement, where we have the training, where we have the development and the passion for it, that most of us can achieve things that we never thought we could achieve. Pretty inspiring. It it sure is. Now, the part that I don't necessarily disagree with is that he was bringing up searching for his real parents, that you have to be ready, and whether he could spend certain quality time He's given himself enough excuses not to do it. But the fact is, is that he's not ready to really face that possibility of revamping his beginning. And the person in his life that has set an amazing, amazing example is the mother that raised him and the kind of dedication that she's had to taking in him and his brothers and adding sisters and doing Mother Teresa's work, doing such an unbelievable job and the sensitivity that she has to accomplish good things for people is just also an amazing story. When you have an example like that, someone who's there for your ball game, somebody that's there for whatever you want to be, and is encouraging you to be the best that you can be, that's also a very big factor, And that's what he has in his mind that's what he has in his mind as the example to look forward to and to follow. And and that's the legacy that he's trying to do as well. So when you have a mentor, and it doesn't have to necessarily be someone in your family, but someone who really cares and shows that compassion and really cares about you, it has a very big effect on your life. One of the things that uh, you've mentioned to me yourself is that Just because somebody tells you no, that doesn't mean that that is the final no. That shouldn't stop you. You just have to find the person or the the road where it's right and where the answer is yes. And guess who has that same philosophy? You didn't make that up. I have the same philosophy that I also want to find a way always to win and learn from my mistakes and learn from the experiences that I've had and the experience of others and find a better way. The other thing that's very interesting is that I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm very good at certain things and some things I'm not that good at, but surround yourself with people that can help you where you key in on what you do best and what you develop in. And you can develop in many things that other people can help you with so that you're sure that you're getting the right job. But you don't have to be an expert on on everything. But if you can learn how to learn, and you can learn how to listen, and you can learn how to objectively know whether someone is giving you the right information and the right advice, then you have a network or a confidant that you can work with. Believe it or not, life is also a team sport. You can't do it all. By yourself.
1: Well, he's gotten to collaborate with some world-renowned people. He's been
2: extremely fortunate there. Well, he surrounds himself with talent. And most successful people try to do the same thing. They try to surround themselves with talented people and positive people and positive energy. And the more positive energy that you're around, the bigger tasks that can be accomplished. I'm a big believer in that, as you know. I do know. I found it also to be very interesting is that when he was feeling down and rejected on the way he looks or the way he was performing as a young man, it's almost like you want to numb yourself. You want to drink yourself or take drugs or you want to cause a ruckus because you feel like screaming and yelling and getting it all off your chest. And I find that that is also being human. And where you find out that banging, you, <laughs> my dad used to say, bang your head against the wall until it turns red. All you're doing is hurting yourself. It doesn't accomplish anything. If you fall off a horse, you got to be able to get back on the horse and get back in the race. It's really funny because you got him to sing a beautiful song. It sounded like an original. And the fact is, is that we all are searching for love. You just got to go out there and find it. You just can't give up. And some people, of course, are searching for love and they don't even know how to go about it because they have a lot of issues with themselves and he's realized that I'm gonna go out there, find what I can be good at, get develop it and go for it and continue to learn and progress and work with talented people as well. And he realized that he loves himself just the way he is, even though he's a little different, he says, but I love myself and by accomplishing that goal, he's able to then spread his wings all over. And he's able to meet all kinds of incredible people because he has a shining glow.
1: Isn't it funny too, how he wanted to know the trouble that I've gotten into?
2: Well, that's the thing, you know, because he faced traumas of self-doubt and being a little bit of a troublemaker. The funny part is, is that everybody that experiences getting into trouble themselves want to know what kind of trouble you get it, got into. And the funny part is, is that, We'd have to have a whole new episode on that or write a book because you certainly have done plenty of exciting, difficult things that I had to chase you after also. To name just one thing that you might have done that's a little wild or crazy, like I said, I'd have to sit down. I wouldn't want to give one validity over another, but certainly the one that I remember that I think we handled well was that, if you remember, I had to come and uh, get you where you had gotten a DUI or something. You were out in the boondocks past your curfew. Didn't go where you were supposed to go. Uh, drinking and driving, and you got caught. But I would like to think that even though you were a little wild and crazy, but you were in trouble, and your dad came to get you. I still tried to encourage you. Obviously, <laughs> didn't like what you had done, but to show that even doing something wild and crazy, that you always had a place to come back to, and I think that's important for a daughter or a son to know. Even when they get into trouble, that there's somebody that's always going to be in their corner, no matter what.
1: I think I should have got a better lawyer.
2: <laughs> uh, there's plenty of, uh, at the bottom of the ocean.
1: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and tune in.